Hello, listeners, and welcome back to the Observer Station. This week, we have an interview with Erica Wesley. She was a previous observer and was previously the West Coast Coordinator for Saltwater Inc. Listen to her tales about being an observer and dealing with observers and fishermen as well. I didn't leave because I was upset. I love my job, love my job, love my observers. I love my manager. There is a lot of room for growth from the observer role. You don't have to go my route, you know, working as a coordinator, working as a contractor. Although, you know, a lot of people do. A lot of people will get into other programs. They'll start doing EM review, monitoring, camera review. They'll do, they'll go on to work at NIMS. They'll go on to work dates. There's a lot of room for growth. Some people decide to go the other way. And let me tell you, I seriously consider this as well, which is to just go and be a deckhand, go and be a deckhand. Welcome back, everybody. Um, today, we have a very special guest. Um, Wayne, would you like to introduce her? I think she can probably introduce herself. <laughs> <laughs> so, Erica, why don't you just uh, tell us who you are, what you do, yeah. and what you did, and the basics, you know? Absolutely. Um, well, my name is Erica Wesley. I um, <clears throat> started in the Hawaii Longline program, Tuna Longline, um, and I did that for a while. Then I moved over to the West Coast and did the Wake Up Catch Shares program. Um, and after doing that for a couple of years, um, they offered me a coordinator role for uh, Saltwater Incorporated. So took that. So I've kind of been on both sides of the coin, the contractor side and the observer side. Yeah. So I spent about in total, I think, 12 years. And I just got out like less than a month ago. So the, uh, the Hawaii program, when did you get started and where were you based out of and how was it? Um, so I was going to school in, um, in Hawaii. I went to HPU and um, some friends of mine that were like a year older started observing. And every time I went over the house, they had like a new fancy thing, like big screen TV or like, I was like, how are you guys getting money? Like, <laughs> like this is crazy. And I go over observers. So I learned about it. And um when I finished up, I went down um, to the office and had an interview uh, with Josie and um, got going there. And then I did that for maybe like, two. Um, I already lived in Hawaii. So it wasn't like I was going out there for, um, you know, anything. Like I wasn't going to have some great adventure in Hawaii. I just wanted a job in marine biology when I got out of school. So, um, but yeah, and, and at the time, that program was saltwater. So uh, Josie was a coordinator for saltwater there. Okay. Where were you ported, ported out of? I've just kind of... Oh, sorry. Yeah. Uh, Oahu. Well, like Honolulu, I guess. I actually oddly lived on the same street as the Observer Bunkhouse. Pretty funny. Like it was just right around the corner. Um, so yeah, we would go in and out of the harbor downtown. Okay. Uh, what was the target species there? Um, tuna, swordfish. Um, yeah, you go out, it was all long lining, you know, um, trips were super long, but um, yeah, sword, sword trips were a little long. How long were the trips? Um, okay, so when I got hired, they said like an average trip is 20 days, uh, 21 days or something, but I was never on a boat less than a month. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> so I had, I had one trip that was like closer to two months. Um, yeah, it was crazy for that trip. I mean, I don't know if I can just, if I should be, but no um, ramble on okay yeah yeah <laughs> so this one trip about. we had was particularly my longest trip 
uh, was we we left the harbor and we drove the boat straight down all the way to the equator. And um, there's this really small island out there called Christmas Island. Uh, not a lot of people know about it. And there's actually two Christmas islands, I believe. And like one of them is the one that everybody knows of. And this one is less common. But um, so we went all the way down there and we were supposed to pick up crew while um, the crew had been like all funneled to Christmas Island because it was like the closest international place that we could pick them up um, visa wise or whatever is what we had to do. So they were coming from all over the world. They weren't coming from Christmas Island. They're Indonesia, some from uh, Philippines. And I think the Indonesian crew had got detained in the airport. So they were like over a week late. So when we got to Christmas Island, we just kind of had to hang out. And um, it's pretty cool, actually. It was like a really awesome time to get to just go and experience a new place <laughs> when you're on a trip. But uh they didn't have a harbor there so we'd have to like canoe in from the boat we just kind of docked <laughs> oh, like offshore awesome. um yeah like there's nothing big enough to just handle a standard fishing boat there so um so we hung out there for like a while then we came up to like went back to oahu and the for the purposes of like again some sort of visa i don't know they have to transfer the crew at sea and like that doesn't sound crazy but it is it's like they they jump into the water with like all their belongings in a in a plastic bag and they swim across or like there'll be like a rope tied and they like pull themselves across to the other boat it's not like there's a little boat so we met all these boats just offshore of Oahu uh, we could see the island you know but we transferred them all um that's crazy and, and then we instead of going back into port and being done and at this point it had been like three four weeks because the steamed christmas island was like over a week there over a week back we spent at least a week there um instead we just could see the island and we turned around and went fishing so then the fishing trip actually started but that was really long trip pretty cool wow that that is crazy how big are the fishing vessels um I mean, maybe like it's a big, it's between kind of similar to the West Coast, I guess, between 40 and 70 feet is kind of my estimate. You know, there's some smaller ones, but um, most of the time, yeah. So how would you say that the fishery and the fishermen differ from West Coast and Alaska? Um, well, actually, the funny thing is I've never actually been an observer in Alaska, but oh, yeah, I forgot. I've been like, I've been up there and I've been on the boats and I've met all the captains and stuff, but I've never actually done a contract up there. But um, between Hawaii and the West Coast is pretty like vastly different. Um, another thing, I don't know if you guys have ever talked to anyone who's done the Hawaii program, but um, it's very different because all their crews are international. So they, like I said, we went and picked up a bunch of crew, um, uh, but every boat is a different, you know, culture. Um, it's really beautiful and amazing like from a, our perspective you know um but for them it's i think it's pretty tough you know they um you know so one boat would be like from indonesia one boat would be from the philippines there's japanese boats vietnamese boats um and you know they come over when they come over their visa only extends to the dock um at least this is how it was a few years ago i don't i don't know currently but um you know so they would kind of be stuck on their boat even when they're in port like if they were to go across the street it'd be like a violation so um so I kind of found myself even though the, none of them speak English like I found myself becoming friends with these guys and I'd go down there even when I wasn't working and hang out and we'd eat food and there's one boat that had a like, karaoke machine I just wanted to like hang out with these guys because you know they didn't have a lot of 
um, ways to kind of enjoy themselves when they were not working, you know, which was also kind of rare. I mean, they fish a lot. So, so yeah, that's a very different whole scene versus the West Coast where it's just a bunch of people. Everybody speaks English, you know, <laughs> they're all a bunch of Americans. Um, yeah, that was a big difference because sometimes you go on a boat and no one speaks English. So you don't even speak English for like a month. And then you get back to land, you kind of forget how to talk. At least I would. I it would take me like three, take me like three days to remember how to talk. Um, because you just spend the month like gesticulating, you know what I mean? Like using mm-hmm. your hands, emoting, not really um, talking. Very strange to forget how to speak. But uh, yeah, I'll just talk slow for. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's really interesting. You know, obviously, I don't know how the visas work or any of that, but that seems pretty fucked up. They can't get off the boat. Like, as someone who's been on a boat where the captain's like, well, I don't want you to get off when we get to port. They're like, yeah. that sucks. <laughs> they could go, they could go between yeah. each other's boats, but they couldn't, yeah, they couldn't like walk across the street and like go to a bar. So sometimes it puts a lot of pressure on you as a woman too. Cause like sometimes you're the first woman they've seen in like years, you know, if they haven't had a female observer and not all the boats, it's not a hundred percent coverage fleet. So like, I think it's like 20%. So, yeah, it's 20%. you know, and so it's, it can be like, you know, quite a while before they even have an observer and then if they do you know yeah you might be the first girl they've seen in a long time oof as a woman that just sounds scary (laughs) i mean you know um for the most part everybody was very uh professional like you know accommodating in that way yeah what made you change from the hawaii program to the west coast Mm, just personally i had to move back for family and family reasons and i like it was funny because I had a friend who knew I was an observer in Hawaii and we were neighbors um, on that same street as the bunkhouse, but he never was an observer and he had moved to Oregon and he let me know. He goes, Hey, I, I just signed up. There's a training class coming up for the West coast. And I go, really? He goes, I think there's a spot left. You should call them. And I had just moved back or I was just about, no, just about to move back. And um, I called and at the time, the cordon, like the recruiter was like, Oh, if you can give me all, your, I just called him. I said, Hey, do you have a spot? And he goes like, yeah, like, who's this? I go, oh, I'm an observer from Hawaii, but I'm moving back home to the West coast in San Francisco area. And he goes, Oh, if you can just give me all your paperwork by noon, I'll put you in the class. <laughs> that was it. <laughs> <laughs> so like, I didn't even know his name. Like I knew nothing. I was like, sure. And I sent him my paperwork. And then he, uh, he told me that the, the guy like, wasn't going to leave his position. So I ended up having to wait for a while, but uh, eventually got in. Oh, cool. Well, that's, uh, that's pretty interesting. I mean, it it seems like observers switch programs relatively frequently. At least I know a couple observers that have gone to the Hawaii program, some observers that have come to the East from the East coast to the Alaska program, but yeah, and I feel like there's a lot of questions you don't have to ask somebody if they've been an observer before, but you should at least ask them a few, you know? Yeah. I remember when Lauren, when you switched, I was like, <laughs> I was like, all right, I have like only like four questions before it's going to be really easy, but. So how was the change for you between the Hawaii program? I know absolutely nothing about the Hawaii program besides what they have oh, on the man. next page. West Coast, I mean, I've said it before to both of you probably, is like, it was like observer retirement. I was like, I'm an observer, but this is so easy and so nice and so like I can have a life you know what I mean mm-hmm. I can have a dad I could have relationships you know <laughs> being like being gone for like uh you know a small period of time here and there is much better than being gone for like long chunks you know so um 
yeah, the conditions were good. Um, you know, like actually the working conditions on the boat are way better. Like uh, in Hawaii, I would, I would work like frequently 16, 18 hour days, like, and just endlessly, you know? Um, so like the work was much more chill. <laughs> we spoke English. There was no bed bugs. I was like, this is deluxe, you know? <laughs> this is deluxe. There's no bed yeah. bugs. Yeah. <laughs> really setting the bar high. <laughs> yeah. It was a wonderful. No, I really enjoyed the West Coast. I formed super close bonds with all, like any crew I was with and still friends with them today even though I'm not at the program anymore you know how was it shifting your relationship between your coworkers to now being like their boss like how was that transition oh um it went pretty good because at that time I was kind of like just stationed in San San Francisco and I didn't have anybody that worked near me um so the only observer I knew really was my friend who I trained with um so it wasn't like I had a ton of people to transition with, like that role with interpersonally. I mean, all the boats were definitely happy (laughs) that I was going to be coordinating for them uh, that I knew. But yeah, I I was, so I guess it was easy, you know, Uh, my friend was happy for me and he wasn't like gunning for the job or anything. I actually wasn't even either. They just asked me if I wanted to interview. I was fortunate. How big of a change was it for you between being the observer and then coordinating the observers? I mean, okay, I got a dog. All right. Like I got, you know, like that was probably the biggest change. Like it's not like my life improved a bunch getting off of boats. In fact, to be real, like I honestly, I missed it a lot. I wanted to be at sea. I still do. I talk, like I was just talking to one of the captains recently about like, okay, next time you go out on a Sunday, let me know and come and sort fish. Like I miss it so much. So yeah, I mean, honestly, just the, the benefit was just being able to get it a puppy, (laughs) you know, without having to share that responsibility with other people, I guess, you know? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I liked it. I liked, I liked the role as coordinator too. Like it was really, I really enjoyed taking care of all my observers, like watching out for them, having their backs. That made me feel really good, helping them in whatever ways I could and supportive. I really enjoyed working with the clients too, all the fishermen, the captains, the owners, like we all got along great. So it was a great role. I really liked it, but I did miss being at sea tremendously. <laughs> yeah. I can totally get that. Yeah. It's one of those weird, I don't know, being at sea is for me, at least because I get seasick is a love hate relationship. I love to do it. I hate being seasick, but when I'm not seasick, it's like the greatest thing. Uh, it's really beautiful. Just have time to like reflect on your life. Like Observing is a really good thing to do at a time in your life where you're trying to figure out things because like you have so much time when you're just, you know, out there and there's nothing and no one, it feels like, you know, mm-hmm. and like, I remember thinking like even vertically, like underneath me right now is like five kilometers of water. I got rid of it. was like, <laughs> I just feel like, I feel like nothing now. And it's like really helpful, you know, puts a lot of things in perspective. I only, I only bettered myself and like became a better version of when I was out there I mean yeah you gotta be careful like if you had just gone through a breakup like and you're going out on a long trip like it might not be super good because you kind of might be ruminating on all the negative stuff but uh, I mean on a larger scale you're probably like I don't know I feel like we're all more like self-possessed people uh, we know who we are what we want you know yeah I feel like you kind of have to be to I mean to keep your sanity and decide to return back out there again 
<laughs> I think the people that aren't like that don't decide to come back and do second trips or come back and do a, a second contract. Yeah. That's I one of those was... things that can be really hard is dealing and being with yourself. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you have to be tough. Like you have to, you have to have an element of toughness, you know, like I always said, like if you lived at home your whole life and your mom still does your laundry, like you can't do that. You know, <laughs> you could, you could try it, but it's not going to probably be great. You know, and I, I've been proven wrong twice on that, you know, where I hired people that were, in my opinion, like still pretty soft, you know, and they, they hired them right up and it, and it was great. Yeah. I think you just kind of have to be strong to do this became a coordinator what did your job actually entail obviously you helped get observers on boats when boats needed observers uh, what else did you do i know that you did a job my interview at least when i applied for being an observer <laughs> the first time so yeah yeah i did i hired you sorry <laughs> just kidding, <laughs> just kidding. Um, yeah no i uh so the main so when i'm interviewed to be a coordinator um i interviewed for the west coast role uh, but Stacy did my interview, who's like our program manager for Alaska. And she was like, I feel like she just honestly liked me a lot. And she convinced me instead to come and work for her and not do the West Coast. So, um, so I kind of went under her as like her protege. And the idea was I would eventually take over her, her role and she would move up in the company. So it would have been me and Joanne coordinating. Then be a year into that the west coast coordinator like they got someone else to be the west coast coordinator um but maybe a year after that um maybe two um th that position opened up because that person moved on to do uh stuff in another division of saltwater and i they were like do you want it i was like absolutely i do <laughs> so i added it to my plate to be the coordinator for the west coast but i was also recruiting at that time i was coordinating like doing logistics with alaska like you know if joanne or stacy would take mm -hmm. off i would cover for them and then towards like pretty much the whole time i still retained my catch monitor certification because i wanted to be able to still get out there and get a little dirty at the dock so i would go down and monitor offloads you know get in there hang out with my clients and work for them actually <laughs> you know <laughs> which was nice so i was catch monitor through all that and then eventually i kind of decided to help and become an EM technician as well and installed, but installed a bunch of uh, some on boats down here in my area. So I kind of had my hands in a lot of different pots of the company, but as far as the coordinating role, that's like, um, that was like my, you know, where my heart lied, you know, but yeah, you would, you know, communicate with boats, keep tabs on everybody, um, assign people to different things, you know, uh, with new people, putting them through training, teaching them, you know, where to go, what to do, payroll, you know, all that check in, you know, we also submit like documents to NIMS, like your safety checks. Um, there's like, you know, making sure everybody's, you know, got their certificate, like their physicals in line, CPR certs, like there's stuff like that, you know, um, personnel sort of stuff. Um, you deal with, you know, disgruntled things that come up or problems try to smooth it out make everybody happy you know um yeah i mean you know another huge responsibility of a coordinator and um probably the most yeah sombering i don't know is that you are the one that's going to get the call if something. so um so yeah i mean if the eperb was to ever go off on a boat my phone would and um you know i only had that call once luckily my observer was okay 
but yeah, I jumped in the car and I drove all the way up there to the hospital and met them and made sure everything was okay. And yeah, so I think, you know, there's a lot that writes on, you know, and even when you're not working, you're working, you're thinking about things all the time. You're always going through stuff, thinking of better solutions, things that'll make things easier for your observers, make it better for your clients. It was, I was never off, you know, during COVID, the job got really big too. Um, had a lot more responsibility. Um, had to take on a lot more in order to cover. Um, and, but, you know, it's all worth it. I don't know. It's great. I didn't leave because I was upset. I love my job. Love my job. Love my observers. I love my manager. I love the, the people that directly manage me at Saltwater. Love them, you know? Um, yeah. The, uh, yeah, you, you brought up a lot there that I kind of want to break into, but I got to yeah. say they, uh, i it's like impossible for me to ever imagine any coordinator ever taking a break ever. Anytime you needed to get a hold of them, they either call you back immediately afterwards or within a couple hours, if it's like two o'clock in the morning that your issue popped up. <laughs> right. Yeah. I slept with my phone on and under my pillow for seven years. Oh, wow. That's yeah. <laughs> quite a bit. So you, you talked about, you know, some issues that pop up occasionally, like what were some of the more frequent issues that you had with being a coordinator as like dealing with observers or fishermen or, or rushing deadlines or things like that? Um, well, I mean, you know, NIMS will, or PAC states will let us know if uh, somebody's delinquent on their data, <laughs> that happens. <laughs> uh, we get poked about that. Um, you know, the stuff you would think like a discrepancy about a, uh, how much of something they caught. I mean, that's actually pretty rare. You know what I mean? I, I got one call at 4 a.m. at an offload saying, you know, this person wants us to separate these two species and we don't want to do it. And I'm like, well, I think you're both great people, but you have to separate <laughs> your species. <laughs> Uh, I'll come in. I'll I'll be there if you give me 20 minutes and I'll help you. And they're like, no, no. Okay. All right. Go back to bed. And, uh, <laughs> you know, so like, you know, <laughs> that sort of stuff it pops up, but not as much as you think you, it's not a lot of, at least in the West coast, um, there's not a lot of friction between crew members, captains and observers, uh, usually very like positive, uh, relationships, uh, you know, I mean, I had one observer say, oh, I think the captain's cheating on his wife and I don't want to go on their boat anymore. And I was like, okay. <laughs> I mean, I don't think that's good either, but like, this is our job, you know? <laughs> I can so, like, understand the moral objection, but it doesn't really affect the professional relationship you should have with the first. <laughs> is he safe when he's driving the boat? Like, do you feel secure on the boat? Like, you know, these are way more important things. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, nothing was really like, you know, nothing was like a really common thing that would come up all the time, but um, wide variety of, you know, all handled. <laughs> nothing too crazy? Terrible. No. Yeah. You just got to know who you're talking to when you talk to. Them. I mean, some of these people I've known over a decade, over a decade now, you know, like it's crazy. Um, yeah. You've developed really strong relationships and, you know, it helps, helps make the job a lot easier. So how many observers total on the West coast did you coordinate through your years or just at any one given oh, time? That's a good question. Usually we're around 10. We used to be, when I started, we were like more like 20, 20 or something, I think, but, um, more of us because we had, hate. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, I don't know. I've probably, I've probably on the West coast coordinated, you know, 40 people over the years um something around there 30 people and um and 
in Alaska, it's more closer. It's probably closer to like two, 300. So um, yeah, at any given time, we have about 150 active in Alaska. Yeah, so. I, I, um, I looked and up- And I'm, you know, I help too. I looked up the, uh, the total coastline of just the West Coast. There's 840 miles in California, 296 in Oregon, and 157 in Washington. That's quite the range of coastline. But when you compare yeah. that to Alaska, which has the most coastline in the United States, it has like 6,640 miles of coastline total. Alaska is obviously a larger state, but it's got more observers, but there's also more coordinators in Alaska, and it's more programs in Alaska too. Not every yeah. coastline has a port. You had to manage the entire West Coast by yourself, right? Yeah, my range was from Astoria, Oregon to Monterey. Well, Morro Bay for a while, but that's Monterey. So, um, you know, uh, yeah, there's a lot going on in all those different places. There's another contractor on the West Coast, AOI, and they have more ports than I do. Mine was really like Astoria, a little bit of Newport here, there. Um, and then between there, it would be like Fort Bragg, like all the way down to Fort Bragg. We had Brookings and stuff for a while, but, um, let's see Fort Bragg, San Francisco, Half Moon Bay, Monterey. Yes. Mostly Oregon and California. I would send some guys up to Washington sometimes to cover stuff, but not that. Often. How often did you have to pitch in to help with Alaska? Also, sorry if I'm repeating a question. We have like tornado warnings and uh we just had like 50 mile an hour winds come through and knocked our wi-fi out so i'm back but jeez. Oh, <laughs> oh i noticed uh, i got a little message on here it's like geez it's crazy yeah i would it, it kind of you know shifted in the beginning the first like three years of being admin at saltwater i worked a lot with it. i mean i was going up to dutch and stuff um then like over time we kind of realized that uh, Stacy was going to probably stay where she was, um, because the owner, the company wasn't going to be leaving anytime soon. There was a plan for her to leave. And then they, they went back on it. Um, they were going to retire and then they didn't want to. So <laughs> Stacy was kind of like, all right, I guess I'm here now. Um, and so when that kind of happened, then, um, you know, that kind of almost that exact time I took on the West coast. So I would still help. I was kind of like spreadsheet queen. I go through like all the spreadsheets every month, make sure everything is right, submit it for, you know, billing and client stuff. So I was helping more on the back end versus with the actual observers. But, um, you know, we used to have weekly meetings um, till about, yeah, halfway through or something when I started focusing more on the West. But yeah, I was always kind of like, I'd always let everybody know, like, I can do everything Stacey and Joanne can do. So if, if you're ever in a pinch and you need something really quick, you know, here is a number three. But that wasn't that often. People reached out. Stacey and Joanne are really great at their jobs. Yeah, they're on it. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I mean, I thought all of us at Saltwater, at least in the last five, seven years, have been really great people and really good at our jobs. And I mean, I think it shows too, you know, like... <laughs> When I left, um, someone someone uh, outside of Saltwater said, you know, every time I give an exit interview to anyone from Saltwater, they always say, like, how amazing of a coordinator you are and how, like, great you are. And they might have, you know, something that they didn't like about the job or the boat or this or it's never you. <laughs> and I was like, oh, it's like such like, it's like the best compliment I could have ever gotten. You know what I mean? Because I was like, Aww. and I and I feel like it's kind of, that way with a lot of the people that work for us like you know I've, I've heard it from 
the region and stuff like you know your observers have the best morale your observers have the best they feel the best they're happy and that's kind of like in my opinion the most important thing and i think all the coordinators at saltwater feel the same way like it's that's our priority safety and happiness (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can sure attest to that because when i switched over you know i was amazed at how different the culture was at saltwater versus like my previous observer employer and and how I actually felt like you guys gave a shit like if I fell off a boat it wasn't like (laughs) oh let's get another one in that training class it was like oh my god where's Lauren let's go find her ah like like I actually like felt like you know you guys cared oh my gosh yeah absolutely I mean I felt (laughs) I, I was like I would always like tell Stacy, I'd be like, I know this is unprofessional, but like, I love my observers. I just think they're such great people. I like care about them so much. Like I, they're not employees, you know what I mean? They're people that I, you know, I know about their lives and time on the phone and we check in and, you know, um, I just, I don't know. It was like really rewarding, you know, like I'm providing a service for them versus like, I'm, you know, controlling or, you know, making their, uh, their schedules and telling them what to do and I'm running the show it was no it was like I'm <laughs> I'm I'm giving you a service right now like I want to help you so and I think I learned that from from St. Joanne you know yeah we had a uh, an episode where we talked about providers previously and we got some flack back because I honestly like I've only worked for saltwater I've only had fantastic interactions with all my coordinators and I was like I know people get mad about their coordinators like screwing them over or whatever but personally like okay yeah I had to go out on a trip that I wasn't like super stoked about or on a boat that I wasn't super stoked about but that's not on my coordinator or anybody else but like the boat sucks someone's got to do it I'm gonna do it I'm not ha- that world's happiest person about it but my coordinators are people and they've got their job to kind of do and I've got my job that I s- agreed to do so everybody gets yeah. a little upset about it well the it- thing is is there's so many different observer programs. So like, you know, you could work for a company and you there's like, they have their hands in like five different observer programs. So maybe in your program, the person, the people you're dealing with are super great, but in another program, it might be horrible. <laughs> you know, like it might, the person running that might not be great. And even within saltwater before me, uh, the guy right before me was good, but the guy that was my coordinator was horrible, horrendous. He was the worst coordinate like I I lived on the same street as him I never met him in person like how little do you have to care about me you know what I mean like um I mean he he lost us like an entire port by running his mouth I mean you know those and it it gave saltwater a horrible reputation that like we've been trying to rebuild on the west coast for like the whole time since so I think it's working now I think people actually respect saltwater now and it's it's not doesn't have like a dark association but you know, one coordinator can really ruin the whole reputation of a company, you know, is, is what I've found. And it's, it sucks, but it's true. So like, you know, if they're, if a coordinator, like your role as a coordinator is also usually pretty autonomous. Like you don't really have a lot of direct reporting to do all the time because you're running, you know what I mean? Like you're the top of that thing. So, um, if somebody's just left out there to be a horrible coordinator, un- untamed, unbridled, like it can get bad. So I think, you know, that could be part of it too. You know, it's just, it's more coordinators than it is companies a lot, you know. Uh, yeah, and I will say like a lot of our flag 
too that came from that episode the complaints were more about like other observers um well that's what they summed down too they're complaining that we're too harsh on observers and not harsh enough on providers but all their complaints were observer caused issues like messy bunkhouses yeah 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 i i mean you know there are there are definitely things that like uh, could always be approved in every company right but um, I don't know. I feel like we don't get a lot of, compl- at least in, in Alaska and California, like West, or, sorry, West Coast, we don't get a lot of complaints. And it's, you know, like there was a, a survey that I, I got to see the results of. It was anonymous, right? But we all looked at it to make sure that, you know, see if there's anything. Unfortunately, they didn't divide it by contractor. Um, but, uh, you know, the the problems that people are having, usually they're like repeated. I, I see with the other stuff, you know, oh, this bunkhouse sucks, you know, it's like, but it's not just one person said that it was like 10 people said their bunkhouse sucks, you know? So, um, but with us, I don't feel like we get that a lot, you know? Um, we, we actually have pretty much like, no, yeah, nothing really serious, you know? Yeah. Well, we also have Miss Jen that lives right next door to be like, Hey, what are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. She's busted me a time or two doing something. Yeah. <laughs> not too Keeping me on my toes. But it, yeah. I, yeah, I mean, that's what I was saying, though. I, I only have experience with saltwater and the coordinators yeah. that I've met when I, <laughs> until like, I don't know, probably two years ago when I actually started paying attention to my job, I didn't realize there was more than like three people that worked for saltwater because I'd had interactions <laughs> with you, Joanne, Stacy and Jen at the bunkhouse. And that was right. pretty much it. I mean, Angela sends an email every now, and but she could have either been a bot or a third party <laughs> hired out. Like I would have never known. But. Right. Yeah. I mean, it is a small company. It's, it's female owned and not like, it's pretty, you know, there's a lot of great things about the, um, yeah, it's, I mean, I guess like, so, and also just for a little clip, like, you know, the place that I'm sitting from, like you're sitting from a place where you're like, I've only worked for saltwater. So it's all I know. And I, I don't have a lot to compare it to. I also have only worked for saltwater, but when I became a coordinator, I also took on recruiting and I would therefore interview a ton of people who worked in all sorts of different programs for all sorts of different providers. And then I also have a lot of friends that work for other providers from being an observer, from being coordinator, like in that whole fisheries world. So I kind of am distilling down the information that I'm getting, you know, um, and I do honestly firmly believe that in the programs that Saltwater works in, I feel like it's a good choice, you know, because um, I, I hear the same things about the other companies from other people, you know, and I don't think anything is bad, you know, I think they're great, probably great companies too, but I think there's probably like just one person or like I said before, like one thing that just needs to get tweaked and people stop complaining about it, <laughs> you know? Yeah, definitely. Like it's not, it's not that hard to fix, you know, as long as you know what it is. You said you did interviews. Obviously we're on a podcast right now. Did you have any crazy interviews? Ones where you just couldn't (laughs) believe what somebody had just told you? I'm good at Um, cutting fish because I cut up bodies every other weekend for my serial killer neighbor (laughs) or something like that. Um, Yeah, I've had, I've had a couple like um, that were uh, unique. I think like, you know, I've had people either overly share with stuff and I'm like cool like I really my point in an interview is to get to know the real person I don't 
I don't want to get to know interview you. I want to get to know what you'll be like at like two in the morning on day five of your trip when you're tired. <laughs> you know? like, I want to know the true person when I'm interviewing them. So I try to keep my interviews pretty casual. And I think that helps like it, it's also just more comfortable for everybody. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say that the ones that stick out are either people kind of telling me too much or like... <laughs> which is good and fine. And I actually welcome that, but, um, or the people that answer with one word, you know, or sometimes people have like, no, no interest behind, like, like you're interviewing them and they're like, uh-huh. Yes. No. <laughs> yes. And it's like, do you, do you want this? I mean, you know, and I try to <laughs> try to make sure everybody's like comfortable in the beginning, like tell them like, you don't need to stress. This isn't going to be like a, a rough interview. Like I just want to talk with you. Um, so I don't know if it's stress and nerves that makes them shut down or if, or if they just really don't want it, or if that's just the kind of person they are, they're quiet, but yeah, sometimes it's strange. It's like, you're not going to get any job interviewing like this, man. And you kind of <laughs> almost want to tell them like, Hey, like say like a sentence when I ask you a question. <laughs> yeah, it's like stopping such a wet blanket. Yeah. yeah total downer. Um, but <laughs> Yeah, no, I think, um, yeah, it's <laughs> a lot of times this is people's first interviews too. I mean, they're just fresh out of college and, um, you know, they'll learn, I think, but hopefully there've been some funny ones for sure. I can, uh, I can definitely see interviewing for this job and then doing this job as an intimidating task for some people, especially like you yeah. said, if you'd never been out on your own, if you lived with your parents or in college, like this is going to be way different you need yeah. some you experience because you're going to be the only one there like you and five strangers 120 strangers right yeah yeah it it is and you know what it it does grow a lot of people up you know like uh something i would tell people in interviews sometimes is like uh you really find out a lot about who you are like you you learn about what you hate what you love like what you can go without what you can like survive without you learn like what you miss the most, what means the most, you learn a lot about yourself when you're out there. So like it grows people up. Like, um, it's pretty awesome. Like, and I would tell people a lot too, like where, <laughs> wherever would you interview for a job and your like recruiter is telling you like, this job is going to grow you as a person. Like you will become like an, another person's job, you know, um, like a better version of yourself. Like it's strange, but this job can give you that, you know? Um, I think it's, I always think it's similar maybe to like joining the military or like um, going, being like a really remote wilderness backpack guide or something like, um, yeah, it's, it's rare to find jobs like that actually like, I feel like, yeah, mature you. Yeah, like it's super know. transformative, especially when you're out on those boats and you're alone, like you get to like kind of think about things that you haven't before and kind of discover who you are so like I definitely pick up what you're I think it's a real sink or swim situation there because I've met some people yeah. who came back from fishing trips and I, he was a strange individual to start with and he did not get any more sane <laughs> after his first trip and I think he needed like serious psychological help I think he only lasted one trip before he quit on the spot and yeah. yeah, we, we only had, we, we had one person that, um, that didn't disclose they had any sort of, um, you know, issues and mental health things. And, um, 
and halfway through their contract, um, we paid to to have their mom come up and and pick them up and take care of them and get them back home and everything. Um, oh wow! Because yeah, that was pretty early too in my admin stint. Um, that was the only real time. Like I'm sure also what you experienced was very true or whatever, but I feel like it's a pretty rare thing in general. Like yeah. I think deep down inside yourself, you have to know, you have to know that this is risky for you before you go up and have that experience. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. like if you're being honest with yourself and you're like, there's some stuff inside of me that could come out and this could get weird. You know, you'd have to know that I think first for that reaction to happen. I don't think it just breaks like a normal, like a, not I'm, nothing's normal with that stuff, but like, you know, like, a <laughs> like, uh, a person who doesn't know they have predisposed to having mental. Yeah. This particular individual admitted that his first kiss was with the girl in clown makeup, who was a fire breather at the state fair or carnival, or he was an interesting individual, nice person, probably not the person I would want on my boat though. He was not all there after that. And yeah, I, I think for most people, it is a growing job. You really do become, I feel more secure with yourself because you have to. You don't have a lot of other options. It's you out there by yourself and you have to, if you're not sure in what you're doing and how you're doing it, then some of these fishermen will take advantage of that. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, and every boat's had like a weird observer. So like, um, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> they, they, you know, oh, we had this and they, they always tell you, right. You get on the boat. And, oh, you don't want to believe this one time. Like we had this guy who just, he never showered or like, uh, <laughs> we had this one guy one time, you know, uh, carry around a clipboard and made everybody sign it that they liked it. And uh, <laughs> like, you know, or like, you know, um, you know, they all have had a weird observer, like a, you know, an eccentric, I should say, observer. <laughs> I got on one boat and they and said so- they had like, Stacy always sends us the weird observers. We had two weird observers and now we have you. <laughs> I was like, thanks. That's so great. <laughs> yeah. I always tell people, if you just show up and you're just, you know, easy to get along with, uh, it's going to be just fine. <laughs> yeah. So you Um, came you became a coordinator did you have any big aspirations or dreams when you decided to jump into that position or you're just like this just seems like a natural progression yeah you know I I wasn't like I said I I didn't apply for it so what happened was um the horrible coordinator he uh the reason he ended up finally getting fired was he had an altercation with one of my captains and um and my captain at the time told the then like CEO uh, hey, you know, Erica could do a way better job than this guy could. So I got a call and, um, and they interviewed me and that was, I got, I got it at the time. I wasn't trying to, you know, climb any ladder, move up. I was happy. I always thought maybe someday I'd try for a debriefer maybe, um, because that seemed fun. Um, but this just kind of fell in my lap. And I really connected with Stacy and thought like, man, if I could work with her, like as you've been not just like a wonderful person. Um, so I went for it and then I always just thought I would take, you know, Stacy's job at some point. Um, that ended up not being the case. So, um, you know, like I said, uh, Stacy's saying where she's at from, I mean, she does a lot more stuff than she used to, but, um, yeah. So then I was like, okay, you know, um, is there really any growth left for me? you know? Um, mm-hmm. And I, I kind of chatted. We kind of threw around a couple ideas. Um, our CTO was leaving. That position was going to be available. Um, 
And I just kind of realized like, you know, probably there wasn't any way to, to get what I, you know, wanted to do next out of it. Unless I moved to Anchorage, which, you know, it wouldn't be bad. Um, Big weather know. change. I'd actually been <laughs> considering moving to Anchorage before that came up um, just on my own. But, um, but yeah, no, I, I decided just to go a different direction. Um, but yeah, no, I'm, I think there is a lot of room for growth from the observer role. You don't have to go my route, you know, working as a coordinator, working as a, com- a contractor. Although, you know, a lot of people do, a lot of people will get into other programs. Uh, they'll start doing EM review, you know, chronic monitoring, camera review. They'll do, um, they'll go on to work at NIMS, they'll go on to work at States. Uh, there's a lot of room for growth, you know? Um, some people decide to go the other way. And let me tell you, I seriously consider this as well, which is to just go and be a deckhand, you know? Go and be a deckhand. I had a captain's license. Every boat I, I worked on offered a spot on there. They said, I will take you on as crew, <laughs> please. I'll pay you so much more than you're making. And, uh, you know, you won't have to put anything in the computer. And, you know, it was pretty tempting, I have to tell you, because I, I do love you know, being out there and whole lifestyle, but, um, some people will go work for like fishing companies. So they'll get into the more business side of it for under some umbrella or whatever, you know, um, there's a lot of paths after it's not a one-stop shop, you know, it's like, it's not the end of the road. It's uh, it's really the beginning to working in fisheries. And also, you know, a lot of people get into observer work. They have their, I find they have their mindset on like policy, you know, writing policy someday and being a part of the management. And I think that's a wonderful aspiration. I think it's ultra critical that people that write policy have spent time on the boats because like, here's the thing, if you're going to make a call about like how the fish is distributed and who gets what and what the systems are and all the hoops these guys have to jump through, you have to have spent time on the boats, getting to know them, eating meals alongside them, learning who their kids are. And eventually you'll see like, they're just, they're just trying to get by. They're just trying to provide for their family. If you have that base of knowledge before you go up and are in a position policy, like you need vitally important that you have like time with the actual people that you're affecting, you know? So, um, I don't know. I think being an observer is great. I think it's like a lot of times too, I hear like, (laughs) oh, we're just primary data collection. We don't matter. Like it's the lowest point of the food chain and fisheries. I'm like, no, it is the absolute hundred percent most important part because Without observers, there is no salt. There is no nymphs. There is not nothing. There's no fisheries. Like these boats can't fish without you there. Like you realize that, right? Like if you, if you got COVID and ended up in the hospital and there's no one else, they're at the dock. Like you are the most important of this whole puzzle that is huge and massive and it's millions of dollars. Like so many livelihoods and so many people are like affected by this industry and you are so important. Like you're pulling numbers out of the ocean. Like how amazing is that? You know what I mean? Like every day you make numbers come out of the sea and then, and then they get synthesized by like hundreds of different end users and the ocean it's healthier because of that work. Like it's, it's not nothing, you know what I mean? And I don't know. I think that's another people need to, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I completely agree with you on that. It's kind of a thing we've been pushing here is, well, at least on our side is a, a, culture change for observers and how people look at observers and how observers look yeah. a lot of observers kind of like shit on the position and uh, an episode we just had out um we interviewed with someone that did amendment 80 up in alaska and she said a lot of people just say well we just count fish and she's like no we're 
for fisheries management. We are yeah. a keystone in this where they get these numbers for slashing red king, or now they're getting uh cow cods no longer uh gonna be on the worst. IFQ. Yeah. yeah, like thank hmm. God, because yeah. those cows, I swear to God, nightmare. The cows. <laughs> I mean, like you back when I started, like you get a you get a you get a cow and they're like, they're like oh my god cow god cow there's a cow look at look at it what do you think it is what do you think it is like two pounds i think this one's like two three pounds it's like oh my gosh you guys like, <laughs> like red alert like it's like um yeah i'm so happy like you know and that's when when something i i guess to break it down if someone's listening to this and they don't understand when it when a species comes off of the protected species list like that means we've successfully rebuilt that population of fish like through the work you're doing every day collecting data like that that population is now safe and and not needing protection anymore so we don't have to be careful about how much we catch so like it's it's insane you know like how how important this this work is and how like even okay even when I moved into the coordinator role like yeah I was technically still doing offloads and and providing data that way but most of like the value that I gleaned off of like feeling like my work was important in the world was just being an aid to the people who were on the like I felt like that was personally enough like fulfilling enough that I was assisting people who were doing this work that it felt good to do my job if that makes sense you know definitely that's a that's a lot (laughs) you know what I mean like if if a job's that important that I could feel like my job helping them was important enough (laughs) you know it's big I don't know yeah, how it's huge to describe it. So do you have any advice to future observers or current observers currently out there? Well, for observer, I guess it would differ, right? For observers who are currently out there, like you're not alone. Like when you're on your boat and, and you're feeling like, oh, this is a slog and I'm tired, I'm cold, I'm hungry. Like you are not alone because like not only are there many other observers, but like there's a whole like network of people behind you supporting you, you know, like as a coordinator, I've. I wanted my, my observers to feel like I was with them there on the boat. You know what I mean? Like I'm a phone call away. I'm a text away. Like if you need me, I'm right here, you know? Um, so like, I guess like, yeah, just like you're not alone is a good thing to tell people who are currently observers, anything you're feeling or thinking (laughs) everyone else is too. So, um, (laughs) don't worry. Um, and I guess for future observers, I would just say like, yeah, if you're at a time in your life where it's a good time to go and like have an adventure and you want something that's going to start you on a path in fisheries, or you want um, something that, you know, is going to look good on your resume, like, you know, stick with it for a couple of years um, to show like, you know, uh, that you can hack it. And anyone who knows what being an observer is will know instantly you can do whatever job they have to offer after because um you're like oh they've already done the hardest thing like they could do this no problem um in fact one of my guys he just switched over to working for like the state um and the job that he was interviewing for they called me for a reference um he wasn't their top choice until I talked to them and I explained to them like you know how how this job is and you know he got the job I think it's it's a good thing for that and also just yeah you want to go have an adventure you want to go see a new part of the country that you haven't seen before um and get paid go for it but you have to be tough you have to be tough or know that you can be yeah to do it but i think it's it's a great job miss it gosh i wish i would have had that type of advice before i started (laughs) (laughs) oh that's sweet yeah 
Yeah. It's not a good, it's not a good thing to do. If you have like a lot of stuff tying you down, it's not a good thing to do. If you have, um, like a lot of instability, you know, if it's or, a good time to just go away and try something, go for it. Yeah. If you have separation anxiety. Don't. Oh yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you like need your cat in your bed every night. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Don't do that. Yeah. You have to have sort of an independent free sort of nature somewhere inside of you. You know, you have to want an adventure. Great path. I mean, I would have done it longer. I wasn't even trying to stop when I did. <laughs> just happened yeah honestly kind of the coordinator thing too like i wasn't trying to stop when i did i loved it i didn't want to leave but i just had to i'm well we'll miss you i know and i wish i could have been your coordinator longer and actually done you know shown you all the things that i'm telling you about right now but um but you could ask the guys i'm sure they'd say yeah yeah that was erica (laughs) (laughs) And I hope it's all going good for you guys too. And uh, it's really cool that you're doing this podcast. I didn't even know. So like definitely going to go back and anything else. Have a- yeah. What do we have? Like six other episodes out already? Wow. Yeah. I think it's six episodes now. Yeah. I'm lucky number seven. I'm yeah. Number 11. Well. <laughs> might be eight. Yeah. Maybe eight or nine. Because we have <laughs> some things already recorded in front of you. But yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. I'll take it. So you've got a band. Do you want to spend a little time talking about that? (laughs) Um, It's always like the, uh, the secret that I, I don't. (laughs) Um, Yeah. I mean, I don't actually have a a band right now. I'm just kind of playing in a few different things and figuring out what I want to do next. Cause you know, COVID, right. Um, Everything's coming back and um, yeah. So I'm kind of figuring out what I want to make my next band and um yeah but I've had bands last. I mean since I was like 12 I guess but like yeah. um yeah I'm not sure what the next one yet I think we're uh we're, we're narrowing it <laughs> I played so, the tuba <laughs> oh nice I I yeah. can't do anything with wind like anything you have to like blow air into I cannot um I'm more like string percussion like if you can hit it or touch it do that Little uh, little known fact about me is actually in college, I was in a band. Oh, really? Nice. Yeah, I did harmonica and uh, sang. You played Dude, the harmonica. hard. That's I so- like the harmonica. It's fun. <laughs> wow, that's awesome. Yeah. I do um, guitar, bass, drums, vocal. My mom was a piano teacher, so I can play piano and start now. Yeah. Um, but yeah. A lot of a lot of good stuff out there. It's cool. I like that you guys both do music. I feel like that also helps, you know, kind of. You can have something to do when you're out there, like a harmonica. Perfect. Yeah. I shocked the heck out of a lot of the guys on the boats because they'd come out to deck to smoke and they'd be like, "Where's that harmonica coming from?" <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just there, they're like, "Hey." <laughs> oh my gosh, I bet they love that. You just yeah, don't were... tell them where the harmonica is and just make them think they're going crazy. Like, what What are you talking about, harmonica? I'm like, what? That's like an old man's instrument. What are you talking about? That's not me. <laughs> I love it. It's great. I um I brought my guitar to Hawaii on one trip where we had enough space for it. Um, it, was, it was rad. Yeah. I think music makes boat trips way easier. Um, whether it's, you know, you bring an instrument with you or you just have like a long playlist that you can like tune into, but like music really saves me sometimes when I'm out there and I'm just like, ah, <laughs> getting yeah. crazy. Yeah. And for me, it was, it was not just reading, but like loading up a bunch of, uh, you know, shows and movies and stuff on 
on like an external hard drive and you know just being in your bunk and watching a show or something and it's like you're in the womb <laughs> so cool <laughs> like so dark and you know comfortable and warm and really nice um now I think with uh I'd bring a sweat definitely bring a fun they didn't have that back in my my day <laughs> <laughs> I'd do some gaming now I think good time waster yeah I feel like I'm gonna have to invest some of those before I go out on my next boat yeah right or like a pc like gaming pc something you know um you can bring all that stuff you know people get yeah. worried about electronics on boats it's like hey you're you're gonna leave them inside <laughs> yeah you're not gonna be playing them on deck with like and if water. it's yeah and if it's getting wet in your bunk room i mean i feel like something you shouldn't wrong. be there anyway yeah, yeah. <laughs> i feel like you should be in the wheelhouse with your suit on you know <laughs> exactly um well uh I know you have like a bunch of pets. So like, do you want to share some intel about them? Yeah, um, I have um, I have a cat that I got. <laughs> I didn't even want a cat. I had a cat when I was uh, <laughs> when I was like 20. Um, I saw him in a pet store and he looked really messed up. And I was like, this is horrible. So I took him to the vet and I wanted to basically like save him. You know, and I ended up with a cat. Now he's like 7, 15, 16. He's, uh, he's getting up there. Um, and then, uh, I have two Boston Terriers. One is seven, one is one and a half, um, brown and gray. Yeah. So the weird colors, not the normal black and white one's brown, mm. one's gray. Yeah. They're really great. <laughs> My <Aww>. children. <laughs> yeah. I have, uh, as our listeners know, I have a big old horse of a dog named Renly. And then I have a, a cat Cheez-Its who's actually, uh, 21 and he's still going strong we had a scare where i thought i was gonna put him down last week but turns out he just had a little infection and now he's back to normal wow that's thank gosh yeah i know right that's amazing i I mean oh go ahead oh i was just saying like i was buying him baby food like trying to get him to eat i'm like no don't die yet And, (laughs) and then like the vet was just like yeah here's some antibiotics he should be fine in a week and i'm like oh hell yeah so yeah now he's doing his cat stuff Oh, yeah. I mean, that's the thing. They can live a long time. So I thought like one of my friends said they had a cat that like 30 or something impossible. And I looked it up. I think the oldest cat was like 38 or something. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they can live a long time. Yeah. Hopefully he's got a lot of years left in him. Yeah. Hey, if he just wants to go ahead and be immortal, I'm like, okay with that. (laughs) (laughs) Cute. I mean, he's kind of like on the edge of being immortal right now. I think. I know, like right? Twenty-one is old. Yeah, it's a long time. Yeah, his twenty-second uh, is coming up in March. Wow! All my uh, my dog's birthday is in March. My older one, um, him and the cat have the same birthday, and my dad. Aww. So we'd have. I used to joke all the animals um, <laughs> have their birthday on March second. Cute. Um, but yeah, he's a Pisces. <laughs> like it yeah yeah my little one she's gonna turn two I guess oh my gosh I guess I should start saying she's two she's at the end of January oh goodness yeah Yeah. Yeah, she's two yeah Odin and Olive and the cat is Lutz or Lou or Lou I mean he's got anything with an L really yeah yeah Cheez-Its is Chi 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 or Cheech (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah we have a lot of nicknames for all of them yeah what about you Wayne a little quiet up there I was just listening, guys. I was looking up that oldest cat thing. The oldest cat's name was Cream Puff. No. How old was it? Later it was 38. 30s, right? 30, 30, okay. Yeah. All right. Nailing Nailed it. that one. I did not know cats lived that long. <laughs> nice. Gives me hope. Gives I always me hope. thought like 22 was old for a cat. 
Yeah. You guys need like a fact checker on the show. It's going to be the next one. Like, <laughs> no, that's, that's what we got Google for. Check. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just mutes and typing all the time. Like, nope, she's right. She's right. 38. Mm-hmm. <laughs> nice. Um, if we ever switch to a video, we'll just edit in like a little fact checker at the yeah, bottom. Like we looked it up. It's right. A lot of asters. Yeah. A lot. <laughs> yeah. Also, yeah. As far as like hobbies and stuff, I like, uh, I like working on cars. I have like old car, um, got a 64 Falcon fix up. Um, that's like my third old car, but I like working on cars. I like music. got a few doggies. Um, uh, Another weird fact, I used to do roller derby back in the day when I was in Hawaii. I would completely Heck believe yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> Heck um, yeah. I've been learning to code in my spare time. Just fun. That's a good hobby. That's yeah. a good one to pick up. Pretty cool. Um, I also learned how to bake during COVID. So I've been baking up a storm. Um, all sorts of stuff. Started with pies, moved on to cookies and cakes. And now I'm in the sourdough phase. Um <laughs> Oh, turning God. out loaves all the time for people um yeah i like to bake uh, what's your current favorite thing to bake right now well i mean pies are great I, I baked an ube pie i just had a night i just made it like out of my head i was like i wonder i don't think an ube pie would be really good so i made that um for thanksgiving it was great um with like a buttermilk crust um but the sourdough is getting rave reviews like anyone i bake sourdough for like either wants to learn how to bake sourdough after or like tells me i think i should stop everything i do <laughs> so <laughs> i think sourdough is like a pretty big hit right now but then i'm also gonna like start expanding out now that i've got the starter and making other stuff with sourdough like i'm gonna do a sourdough panettone um soon um you know different stuff you can make all sorts of, yeah. pancakes apparently i saw that this yeah. morning when i went to breakfast i didn't know they did sour- sourdough pancakes they're incredible yeah i've tried them before I haven't made them yet, but I'm baking. Okay, there's that King's Diner in Kodiak actually has sourdough pancakes. Oh, really? Yeah. It's it's like a bit of a walk. So like, I don't go there very often when I'm in Kodiak, but it's pretty you good. hankering for those pancakes you do. <laughs> oh, yeah. I'm like, screw it, guys. Let's go. I'll get the taxi. I don't care. <laughs> Just get a few people to come with you. And it's not so bad. Yeah, then it's worth it. <laughs> I also am, yeah, a big gamer. I've I'm an avid D and D player. Um, playing D&D five years. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna, you know, run my own stuff, but uh, mostly been a player. Like we'll do like one-offs where I get like the dungeon DM. Um, but yeah, no, that's been fun. I'm gonna give a shot at actually writing my own game now. Uh, started in January, so we'll have well two going at the same time. One where I'm a player, and one I'm building a whole world. Pretty cool. That's Ooh, pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah. I've never played, but I have gone and like watched like, oh. yeah. And like, even that's that was you... fun. <laughs> yeah. That's how it all starts. <laughs> Your friend's like, do you want to come hang out with us while we play D&D? And then it's over. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, yeah, sure. And then they're like playing and I'm like, holy crap. I feel like I'm in Lord of the Rings right now. <laughs> the gateway yeah. drug. I mean, the cool thing too, is you could put it in any place. You could do like a D&D campaign where it's like prehistoric and there's just like, you know, dinosaurs everywhere where you're sci-fi. Like I, I did a one that like we were all in Star Trek. That's pretty cool. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. Ooh, that would be really cool to do like a Blade Runner D&D. Mm-hmm. We are currently finishing up a Fast and Furious three-part arc right now. Oh, wow. <laughs> I would never have thought of that in D&D. <laughs> My friend just thought of it because she's been watching all the movies and it's pretty hilarious. 
Heck yeah. You've been running. Yeah, it's pretty fun. Cool. I dig it. All right, Erica. Well, thank you for your time. It was a fantastic episode. And I learned a lot. I don't know about Lauren, but I know I learned a lot.